Welcome into another edition of Football 52 and all things, well, not necessarily an all things look, but UNC football specific. We get into a lot of different things. Head coach Ed Lamb, I'm Brady Hull. Episode number three. There's going to be a time as we progress with this, coach, I'm going to just lose track. I'm not going to be able to say episode 23 or something but for now we've only done a few so it's easy for me to count i have a small brain it's difficult for me to keep up sometimes well at some point we better make sure when we get close to 52 (laughs) that we recount we actually hit the 52 but maybe just write it down i'll just write that down do a little extra work behind it that'd be Mm -hmm. okay yeah sure how are you today coach i'm doing well thanks excited to to get today started Uh, maybe people don't realize we haven't talked about it but this is the first thing of the day uh, for us on Tuesday, and Tuesday's a big day for us. We've got a training day with the players. Um, we've got uh, recruiting meetings. We've got player personnel meetings. And so there's a lot of good information being exchanged on Tuesdays with our coaching staff. Yeah, well, and speaking of that coaching staff, let's talk about it. Um, you know, that's another a, a completely different aspect, too. We've been talking a lot about recruiting and building a culture and transfer portal stuff. Well, you also have to fill that coaching staff. And every single year you have to do this, right? I mean, what are the odds you're going to bring back every single coach every single year? Guys are going to progress in their career. Maybe you don't see eye to eye, what have you. Maybe guys get out of coaching, too. So that's another one of those ever-evolving doors where you're constantly looking to fill that position. And there's a lot when it comes to football. You have a lot of guys on that staff. You bet. Yeah, and it's it's certainly a labor of love at this uh, level of football. And when I got into coaching football, even the even the guys coaching the Power 5 programs, the head coaches, they weren't making exorbitant amount of money. We didn't get into the business you know, 20-plus years ago. It's 26 years for me now. Me and all the, the guys that I got into the business with, guys that – I was a senior with uh, in college, for example, Steve Sarkeesian and Kalani Sataki. We and uh, Aaron Roderick is now the offensive coordinator at BYU, and and a, and a bunch of other guys right at different schools. But that era, we didn't get into it for for money. And certainly at the FCS level, my my assistants aren't um, they're not coaching for money. They're not coaching to become wealthy. The idea that they could do a good job and, and benefit and and have, have new opportunities, I think, is there and understood. And and I'm hopeful that. Um, you know, all of our guys become head coaches or, or at least get a chance to chase uh, the goals that they have in the business. But guys can come and go. And sometimes they, they figure out that this is not for them or there's a better way to, you know, raise a family and have more yeah. stability. And, and uh, so we, we can lose guys both out of the business and, uh, you know, up in the business. Out and up kind of is the, the military phrase, right? Or out or up, I, I think is what they call it. You either get promoted or you, you get out. Um, so yeah, we we lost two coaches this year. One uh, went to New Mexico in uh, a lateral move in terms of his his uh, position, his um, his responsibility. He went from receiver coach to receiver coach. That was Micah Simon, and then uh, Blair Peterson got out of the business and is now uh, um, doing well. He's in a startup business and on the sales side of that, and and doing well, and and kind of has moved out of football. So we've got two. Um, Two hires finalized now, but I uh, can't actually announce the name yet just because okay. it's a final process. Um, but what, we've made our decision. They've agreed to be here, and they're, they're you know fully anticipating, uh, obviously, passing background checks and things like that. But, yeah, we've got, uh, we've got two um, guys hired. I'm excited about them both getting here. One of the first things we'll do is have um, a dinner at my house for their position group and them and, and their families and, and just kind of get everybody a chance to get to know them without football as the main topic of conversation. Yeah, it's it's so interesting on that side with the coaching staff because it's I suppose it's like any business too. If you're a good business, you want to have people on your staff that you know can ultimately 
could ultimately do your job perhaps somewhere else. You you want that because that means they're bringing it every single day. They're helping you going back to that culture thing we talked about. They're helping you create that culture. But it's also difficult because as you grow good coaches on your staff and they keep rocking, hey, they've got this position group down. It's great. Well, you know, just like the players and the transfer portal, now you know they're looking at different opportunities as well. How difficult is that for you? Um, you strike me, obviously, uh, as that kind of coach that says, no, I, that's a great problem to have. I want my coaches to be so good, to be so professional that they're getting those looks. Um, but at the same time, you're still going to ultimately lose. You're going to lose good people. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I think most head coaches um, consider it a source of pride when their assistants are able to go on and, and become head coaches or or, you know, and I've worked with some really good coaches who'd never want to touch the head coaching thing. It is a completely different job. Mm. It's interesting that that athletic directors kind of, I mean, that's all they have really is to hire assistant coaches. But the job is so much different. A lot of people find that out and don't like it very much. But, yeah, I mean, I, in our in our run that we had at Southern Utah, for example, we've, we've had two guys go on and become Division One head coaches from that staff. We've had... There are all kinds of guys now coaching at the Power Five level, at the at the uh, major college level, at the NFL level, and so I'm proud of that tree. You look back at sure. you know, even when Jim Harbaugh got started at San Diego, and I was on that staff. Uh, so was David Shaw. So was Johnny Morton. So was Tim Drevno. I mean, these guys have went on now and become head coaches um, at you know amazing places and, and and done amazing things in their career. So I think any head coach can take a lot of you know personal pride in helping develop some of that and and staying in contact. When can you give us the the full on information on when you finalize those last two spots? You know, I wish I had our our uh, uh, business director here because I think one of them <laughs> I could, but it's just like, well, I mean, why? I'd rather this be is safe than sorry. Three. I mean, we can we can wait yeah. to episode four. Yeah, we'll see you next week, <laughs> yeah. and we'll see where we are at that point. Yeah. So one of the hires is just a little further progressed than the other, but I haven't had actually nobody's contacted me and said, hey, background check is good. This guy's going to be here on this uh, day, and so you know, at the major college level, it just gets leaked. And, uh, you know, I think I think sometimes guys at my level do that, reach out to some, you know, to some Internet source and kind of get it leaked um, for some reason. I don't really think our program's riding on whether I leak this or not. So I'm just going to play it safe. Today. <laughs> just let me know. I'm going to bust the story <laughs> yeah. wide open, coach. I'm ready to go for that. Yeah. Um, when, when you fill your staff up, how much of that now last year obviously is, is different. You're coming into a different program. Some of those guys you might say, OK, can we can we keep some of these guys on? Just as we, because you have to figure a lot of other things out too. Is there a lot of that that goes into it when you take a new head coaching job? Unless they just blow you away the opposite way, like in a real negative way, is there a part of you that says, "Hey, we're going to keep a lot of these guys on because I don't want to have to fill." I'm, I mean, how often is that where you come in and you just fill every single position, you refill every single position, or do you let some of the guys that were on the prior staff? They play it out for another year, and in that process, you're looking to to ultimately fill those spots. And maybe they impress you, and you keep them on staff. Well, the the two um, the two head coaching jobs that I've had uh, there ha- there hasn't been a lot of success uh, prior, and so I felt like that the players needed a change, fresh start. And um, I really feel for those for all of those coaches. I, I I interviewed. I'll call it an interview, and and they you know considered it an interview, but really it was get to know you because. This is a this business is a small world, and it could be down the line. Uh, I'm working for one of those guys, or, or one of those guys is working for me, or we're working together somewhere. And so I just wanted to, to help out with the networking, see if there was anything I could do to help them out. And I was open to the idea that if I didn't get some of my first choices, 
um, from my network to come in and help us build this program that I would I would keep them. There are some benefits and some advantages to that. But I didn't end up keeping anybody other than uh, Eddie Gonzalez, who's uh, you know, he's been here at the school for 15 years as a player and a student and a graduate student. Now he's working on his PhD and he's our director of football operations. So a little more of an administrative position, but he knows who everyone is on campus, where everything is. And so he's been a tremendous help to me. Those guys are important to have, those kind of guys. And Eddie, I have a funny quick story about Eddie Gonzalez. The very first time I ever interviewed Eddie, uh, maybe maybe he was a soft, he was a young kid. Um, we were doing an event down in Denver. And, and coach, I'll be honest, I know a lot of people and I know a lot of names. I struggle with names sometimes. But I had, I, we got there, I was told we were going to get the quarterback at the time. And and the coach, that's who I would be interviewing there. We did the CSU thing. We did the CU thing. We got as many as we could. So we're going quickly there, doing a two-hour, three-hour remote. So they send me the quarterback. They also send me Eddie. And at the time, you know, I was like, I, I know I cannot think of Eddie's name, but I don't want to be I'm, – I'm, I'm overly nice here. So I'm terrified. I'm like, I don't want to ask Eddie what his name is. I should know who this guy is. He's their defensive leader. I forgot his name. So I get him on, and we're doing a mic check, and I'm like, this is the radio trick here, Coach. So just, you know, I said, all right, guys, do a quick sound check. Just say your first and last name. <laughs> I mean, of course, Eddie Gonzalez. And I'm like, yeah, nailed it. Got it. Okay, now it refreshed me. Um, but Eddie has just always been, he's been a really good guy. And and having his background, knowing the area, as we talked about last week, that's that's one of the things that you're just trying to get to get to know right off the bat is the area, the school, and all that. So that kind of guy, you already know his background. But what does he have to do in that interview process for you to say, yeah, we want to keep somebody that was on you know the prior coaching staff? It was within within ninety seconds. I mean, Eddie's a battery. He's he's like you can catch. He's a guy that you walk down the hall and and turn and catch him up by surprise, and he's smiling before before you saw him. You know what I mean? He's yeah. just he's just that guy. There's there's always tremendous energy. There's always tremendous passion, positive outlook for the day and in the season and whatever he's doing. James Pazak is another guy on our staff like that, and and we call them our our batteries. You know, like you you, you really can just steal some energy from them, and there's no marked difference between their approach. <laughs> yeah, they're fantastic. Yeah, well, and, and going into the, the the building of the staff, how much of this is you're leaning on your your background with guys you might have known coming up through the ranks, um, guys you've known even back to your to your Harbaugh days, um, or is there a lot of the hey we're going to try to get new uh, people in here maybe that I haven't met because you see this all over the country where this guy knows that guy this guy knows that guy that guy and it's just this chain and you can see how it works how much of, how many coaches on your staff do you are you comfortable with sometimes saying hey this wasn't a guy that I've worked with in the past but he put. Does he put out a resume to you? Does he reach out to you? How does that process work? Well, for context, I really believe, I think I think most um, coaches agree with this, there are many different ways to win schematically or even with the organization of the program, the culture of the program. There are different cultures, different ways to do things. In the end, the the loyalty to the the head coach and the coordinators – uh, that's what's most important. Um, and so initially, everyone on this staff last year that, that was hired, all 10 assistants, they were all guys that I had worked with before. I had coached. They had worked for me uh, all the way through the staff, every single one of them except Eddie who was in, in an administrative position. But all of those who were, were position coaches and coordinators I had worked with before. And then and then as we lost two guys and had to make uh, two more hires, you know, that, that – 
network for me, that common denominator had kind of run out. And um, so we, we brought in some guys. I, I know both of the guys that we're hiring right now. I've known them for a long time, but I haven't worked with them and I ha- mm. or I haven't coached them. And so I haven't seen them under fire, but my staff has. Uh, guys on my staff have, and especially our two uh, coordinators have known those guys really well. And I've, of course, reached out to other guys that I have worked with that have worked with these guys. And so uh, they're, they're very much a part of the, of the tree, but it's just kind of once or twice removed. How important is it to you to have a guy that challenges you? Um, because you'll hear this too with other coaches where it's, uh, there's some coaches that have a philosophy say, hey, it's my way or the highway. Um, then there's other coaches that are very open to saying, hey, come in, tell me I'm wrong. Do you welcome that kind of environment where you want coaches to kind of challenge you on things? Or does that get to the point where that can be abused too quickly? So you try to nip that in the bud. Uh, there's certainly a balance. Um, I start every, you know, Sunday is probably our most confrontational meetings with our whole staff. It's where, you know, I have to make um, some observations, some corrections um, to the rest of our staff and say, here's what I'm seeing that, that's going right, going wrong. And that's whether we win or lose. There's still the same difficult conversations that happen on Sunday, the day after the game. And, um, you know, yet I always um, finish that meeting with, okay, guys, now I need feedback too. What, what could I have done better in the game? How could I have communicated better? How could I have given you a, a more clear picture of, of where we should have been uh, going or what we should have been doing? And, um, you know, not everybody is willing to step up mm. in those moments. And I think that's sometimes a good sign, you know, maybe to just kind of allow silence in the room until the coordinators speak and maybe some of the more senior staff uh, members. But I think um, in the end, if if as a if, if as the leader in the room, if I can consistently keep inviting that criticism and then show change, show that I'll think about it, uh, show that I'll go and um, and and find a better way to do things and listen to the staff, then I think it invites more of that constructive criticism and and more trust. And I think it's a really important part of the way we do things. Yeah, it's interesting. You have to find that that right balance with these coaches, and these coaches have to find that balance too, because you don't want to be the guy that is challenging you, challenging the head coach every step of the way, because that's ultimately going to lead to nowhere. Um, but you you don't necessarily want to be the silent one that's never giving you any feedback when you're in those kind of environments. So I think on your staff, and that's part of the interview process when you when you go have dinner with them, is kind of getting that feel. You know, Can you press those right buttons uh, and not abuse either side of that? I do a lot of um, education and kind of preaching to our staff about our staff culture. And one thing that I really believe is that the, the words that we use, the words that we choose to use, the volume that we choose to speak, um, our composure in those moments are sometimes mm. more important than the actual um, uh, things that we're discussing, the critiques, the, the strategies. It, uh, it's more important the way that we interact with each other. When there's respect both ways, those conversations can go on throughout the day, into the night and, and last weeks and those, those criticisms and those, those constructive conversations where we look for, for better ways to do things. It's when, it's when we lose composure. It's when we lose decorum. It's when uh, guys um, are talking more than listening. That's when I know there's a problem. And at that point, it's a closed-door meeting with, with me and that staff member to say, okay, here's, here's what I'm seeing. Here's where we're at. You, know, you might be in the, in the global universal scale of football – you might be way smarter than me, but I'm the head coach, and if someday I'm working for you, I'll do it your way. But but right now we're going to do it this way, and, and first it's going to start with your decorum and your composure in the staff room. 
You can tell pretty quickly, I'm guessing, from from your position, your background, you can tell pretty quickly when you sit down with a guy for 30 minutes or an hour or whatever, what kind of guy they're going to be in the trenches when things get go south, um, especially during a game. You have to be able to kind of get that personality, figure that personality out, but also do a little prediction game too. Is this the kind of guy that's going to challenge me too much? Is this the guy, kind of guy that's not going to challenge me at all? Is he going to become unhinged if he doesn't like a – if I have to override – if an offensive coordinator gives you a call and you have to override that or something, is that going to blow up on game day? You have to play a lot of different scenarios out in your head before you make that hire, right? Absolutely. And I don't want to see them. That's part of our interview process. One of my core philosophies is coach, coach – and our, our coaches know this – coach the players as if their parents are standing right there next to the conversation. And parents would want us to be hard on, on their their. Uh, sons, parents would want us to hold them accountable, but parents would want us to do it respectfully. You know, let's let's stop short of name calling. Obviously, we never put our hands on a player in an aggressive way. Um, and then when we when we talk to each other as as staff, let's talk to each other as if our wives are in the room. Mm. You know, and that's I think you know what, what I, I don't think it's very hard to start pressing buttons and see if we can keep that kind of composure in our discussions with players and other coaches. I think it's fascinating because, there's again, there's just so many moving parts to building a football program with the large amount of players, of student-athletes that you have on this roster, finding the proper leadership in all those position groups that can keep reporting to you, that can walk that fine line. There's just a lot to it. Um, but clearly, you know, with this coaching staff, I mean, they're getting out in different opportunities, too. I know you wanted to speak on the fact that you have some coaches speaking at a, at a clinic coming up in Denver. Yeah, I thought it was really good. I mean, it, it, we cast a really thorough net in recruiting, not necessarily a wide net until we have to. And we, we've talked about that just with Colorado being, okay, that's that first priority. How many good, worthy prospects can we sign right here in Colorado? So one of the things that our coaches uh, don't, necessarily do is travel quite as far as other coaches in the business. I mean, we have a great recruiting home base in Colorado. Like I said, whether whether that's uh, universally, you know, truth or not, I'm betting my job on it. I, be, I believe in it. And so we're moving forward that way. So we, we do save a lot of miles. We save a lot of, uh, we save a lot of airline dollars uh, being hmm. spent and uh, both in the recruiting part and in our travel. And so our coaches, you know, I, th- I think they're really buying in. They came to me about two weeks ago and said, hey, coach, there's a high school coaches clinic. The Gla- it's called the Glazier Clinic. It's in Denver in a couple of weeks, and, and we'd really like to go down as a staff. And my, one of my basic philosophies in terms of workday is when the players are on campus, right? So if it's not a holiday, if it's not, a, if it's not spring break, I want our coaches here on campus. We're available all the time, door open. We're at the training sessions. We're cheering them on. We're available academically or for any problems going on in their life. So they knew this was kind of a proposal like, hey, coach, we want to rent a van. We want to jump in the van all together. We want to go down there. We want to shake hands. And then Preston Hadley, our defensive coordinator, was asked to do a, a, one of the clinic talks. And so he, he had some good um, response to that. But I, I thought it was just really kind of a mature decision for those guys to buy in and say, okay, you know, Lamb wants us completely ingrained in the high school coaches in Colorado. Here's this opportunity down there. Let's take this opportunity. And so they, they drove all the way down. They stayed until late at night until the last coaches were, you know, checking into their, checking back into their hotel rooms. And then our coaches drove back and were up the next morning for, you know, for morning training session. And this was, when was this coach? Was this? Uh, this was two days ago. Two days ago. Um, and then they were speaking to 
pretty much all high school coaches at this stage or yeah well yeah Preston Hadley I think was the only one who had an official clinic a lot of times you know at those places it's just sitting down over a over a favorite soda it's sitting down over a a sandwich with a high school coach and just starting to talk ball kind of organically like hey what are you doing right now that excites you what are you doing in the business what are you doing motivationally culturally schematically and uh, our guys um, our guys are just really looking for those conversations, hanging out in the hallways, wearing their UNC gear, looking for coaches that they've visited in the past, looking for recruits. Hey, coach, what's going on? Good to see you. Just just that, the social dynamic of being there and being one of these high school coaches. There's a lot of, you know, I've, I did a year of high school football, and sometimes these college coaches can come through, and, and it's not almost like they won't even look you in the eye. Mm. Like, like they're on a, like this whole different level. I tell our coaches all the time, look, the, the game itself – the NFL is the least creative, and then college football is the next least creative. And, and part of that is just all the public criticism that we get, and you know uh, we've talked about some of that before. At the high school level, these guys are the most creative. They are at the top of the game in terms of uh, research and development, R&D. Get out there. Talk to them about what they're doing. They have personnel uh, inconsistencies from year to year. They have huge matchup problems that we don't have at the college level, and they, it's not even close to having at the NFL level where everybody's strong, everybody can run. You can learn a lot from these high school coaches. And so I think those high school coaches get a kick out of that kind of humility. Sure. Like, hey, we're coaching college ball, but we know we can learn something from you. Let's talk a little ball. Well, and and, and that's that's in a sense you're marketing your program too. And who better to market? I mean, obviously you want, you know, we're talking about getting fans in the stands and stuff, but who who better to market to and get to know than high school coaches and just have them so that when when they do have a guy you're interested in, bam, that, that goes back to our conversation from a week ago where when you're looking at a guy and you go through that process of, of getting that guy, recruiting that guy, assessing that guy, you already have this relationship that you developed and maybe you didn't know you were going to need it at that point. You might, I mean, I'm guessing this was these were coaches coming to this clinic from all over the state, I'm assuming. Yes, from so, all over the state and, and even out of states. We had a, one of the all couple over the of place. coaches from Idaho came over and watched our training session the yeah. other day because they were at the Glacier Clinic. So, you, so you're probably. I mean, there there might be a coach there that you you don't know if he has any guys that are going to make sense for your program. But you've gotten to know this guy. You've shaken his hand. You're not looking over his shoulder while you're shaking his hand. You're getting to know that person, and then you're doing it organically. It's not you know you're doing it because it's for the good of the game. But at the same time, this guy might have a, a diamond in the rough out there that's not getting a lot of looks. He might then turn to you guys first and say, hey, man, we were moved by by what Preston did and, and the way that coaching staff reacted. We wanted to give you a call because I think this guy's going to make a lot of sense. He's going to grow a lot in the next two years or whatever that might be. So you're marketing your program, too. You're not just building up good relationships. You're marketing UNC football. You're exactly right. Yeah, it's, it's truly a complimentary relationship that we're looking for. I mean... You, you can go to a lot of maybe um, symposiums or conventions, and there there are guys standing out in the hallway or setting up booths, and they're selling, right? And that that's a, can be a little bit of annoyance if you're not looking for that product. Well, we're we're there, we're there selling us, we're selling UNC, but we're also buying. We're we're buying. These high school coaches want to see their players have opportunities, and so we're buying into that uh, that dream that they have for their players, and saying, hey, we're we're here first. We're here with you guys. Thanks for being at this clinic. Thanks for caring about football and your young men. And uh, we're here to find out who you got. Well, and, and for these coaches, too, it's it's better on them. The more guys they can say, hey, we we coached this guy up from his freshman year to whatever, to he's playing Division One football, whether that's at UNC or somewhere else or outside of the state. 
that's good on them too. So it's one of those things where it just feels like it's a win-win-win. It's good for the for you guys. It's good for the uh, high school football coaches. It's great for the players too. It is in every way. Yeah, I was really, really excited that there are assistant coaches understand what we're trying to do to the point that they brought something to me, a proposal to me. And I was like, yeah, of course. I wish I wish I would have known that was going on. I wish I was more in tune. I'm glad you guys are going. That's big picture stuff. That's yeah. guys that on your staff, and that's what we're talking about, you know, walking that fine line. They're bringing you something. Hey, coach, we've, we've heard about this. We think this would be great for us. And you, you're not one of those coaches that's like, no, it wasn't my thing. It wasn't my idea. So we're not going to do that. We're going to stay focused here. But they're able to present to you why this makes sense and all that. And then you go in on it. But that to me is huge because you have a coaching staff now. They're looking for opportunities to not necessarily further themselves to further this program. And you don't always get that. You might get those coaches that are just, I'm going to do exactly what Coach Lamb tells me. Not to say that they're not, but that's what it's going to be. That's going to be my box. I'm not looking outside of that box to try to help the grow, grow the program necessarily. You know, when, when they came to me, the first thing I, I knew was, okay, I've got to get out of my comfort zone because mm. normally we have 10 assistants in the weight room. At the FCS level, because we, we you know, like a, at, at Colorado State or Colorado, they probably have uh, at, at least six, but maybe 10 or 12 strength coaches working with the team in any given tra- training session, session for football. We don't have that type of, of budget and resources at UNC. So we have we have one or two strength coaches during any given training session. But all of our uh, at the FCS level, the NCAA allows any certified football coaches to serve in the offseason as assistant strength coaches. So all of our coaches are certified. We're all in the weight room. And so when they all took off that day, I knew I had to do the work of 10 mm. assistant coaches in the weight room. <laughs> and so I went from like survival mode of trying to train with the players and kind of uh, just be there in solidarity with them and have them see me sweat and struggle to, okay, I got to even, I got to bring my game up even more. And so I was like in between sets, hustling around, getting in guys' faces. Like I had to bring the energy that our assistants usually bring to those sessions. And I'm, I'm sure I didn't even hold a candle to, to what they can usually bring, but I knew it was going to put me in an uncomfortable situation. See, and I think that speaks more volumes about you, not to not to brag on you so much, coach, but you knowing, hey, this is a good opportunity for my staff. This is a good opportunity for high school football coaches. Um, but it's a good it's a good opportunity for you know me to say, hey, I, you guys go do that. I'm going to get out of my comfort zone. You're getting out of your comfort zone. Let me change it up just a little bit there. And I think that kind of stuff, coach, is just so huge. Um, and from the from day one, when you talked about, hey, if I'm asking a player to work out, I'm going to be doing the same things. Might not be. Who knows? It might not be to their level, but I'm going to try. This is another example, I believe, of saying, hey, this is a unique opportunity that maybe wasn't in the script as we started the year program or the year plan, but they felt strongly about it. I'm going to analyze it and go, yeah, that's a great idea. Oh, I've got to pick it up a little extra here. That's the kind of stuff that I think um, people really can buy into. And I'm sure your coaching staff really appreciated that opportunity. They would, and they would have never. They would have never brought it to me if, if you know, I had a coach in California and a coach in terms of their recruiting responsibility, a coach in Texas, a coach in Louisiana, a coach in Florida, and that's the way a lot of programs are doing it. Even a lot of FCS programs, and you have like one coach taking care of all the local guys. That's the guy that would have gone to the Glazier Clinic on if we had were doing this in a typical way. But we are all in, all up and down the state of Colorado, knocking on every door. 
Well, and you said Preston Hadley was the one that spoke, but the other, the rest of the staff's probably learning from that too. Of hey, can I get into these situations down the road and seeing how he handled that, and knowing that it is a possibility as long as it's for you know it's growing the program. Maybe I can be one of those. I can I can learn to be more of a vocal leader on that side too. Absolutely, yeah. That, you know, uh, rising tide raises all ships, right? And so to, for all the guys to see Preston up there speaking in front of. Uh, in front of a bunch of coaches and having to go through that preparation. And then, you know, it's not easy to, to public speak. Uh, you know, there's, there's, there's criticism. There's, there's always questions. I've done those clinics before and you think, you know, you, you pour everything you got out there. Like, let me share. You know, I've sat in these before. I've listened. I've taken notes. I've, I've tried to become the best coach I can be through research. And, and now I have my opportunity. I'm going to, I'm going to spill it all. I'm going to give them everything I got. And so you put all this preparation in and you get up there and you give your, your best presentation. You bring energy. And then, and then, you know, it's like, Hey, you guys have any questions? Yeah. Mm. Coach, I got a question. What were you talking about spinning around? You know, that's, that's ridiculous. You're going to take your eyes <laughs> off the ball. Like explain more of that. You mm. know, guys kind of really get nitpicky, but it, it, it helps us all grow. It's just like we were talking earlier, those confrontational, conversations, uh, you know, it's it's the productive struggle that we're all looking for. Or when you get a guy that says, why why did you run on, why don't you run on the outside, coach, rather than on the inside, you know, <laughs> just bust it out for 50 yards every time. You probably get that still. Uh, I know we've talked about that. Um, is there a coach, and you don't have to answer this, is there a coach on your staff or a guy in your life that you really rely on, um, that you, hey, this is my go-to guy? I love all my staff members. But this is that go-to. This is that guy that maybe I can vent a little extra, maybe be a little more vulnerable in front of that person. I've got two uh, assistant head coaches. There's an associate head coach, uh, Mike Smith, and um, he was with us at BYU for a while as kind of a junior-level assistant. Has a really interesting story. Uh, he lost his, his mom at a young age and really dedicated his, his football career to her and was eventually drafted by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, played in the NFL. And, uh, and he just... I, I don't know if he sleeps. I think he goes home and just thinks about, okay, what what are we trying to do at UNC and how can I help uh, Coach Lamb? And then Aaron Fernandez is a guy that when I took over at Southern Utah, he was one of our players and um, he coaches our defensive line uh, here now. And he just immediately stood out as uh, not only a good football player on the field, but a great leader. I mean, everything that I was asking I've heard in later years that the players from that era would be like, hey, coach, you know, we we kind of thought you were just experimenting on us. I mean, it just felt like we were lab rats, you know, the things you were asking us to do. We didn't know if there was any science behind it. And there's and, and you can feel that, you know, as a leader when, when guys are kind of like wondering whether they should buy in. Um, Aaron Fernandez never wondered whether he should buy in. He became a great player for us. I hired him as a coach, became a great coach, moved from a defensive line playing background to offensive line. He coached offensive line for – almost 10 years, and now he's coaching the defensive line for us. And he really brings a high level of wisdom, maturity, composure to every conversation. It's really hard to find that on a staff as a head coach. It's just you, you don't get a lot of um, feedback and criticism. You know, you're, you, you feel like you're right so often because a lot of the coaches just want to buy in. And so I have to also reach out to other head coaches. So, so like a, a guy like Kalani Satake or other guys – in the business that I have a relationship with, but they're head coaches. And so we can, we can really get down and, and into the weeds of what we're trying to do, how we're trying to do it. And then to hear the comparisons back and forth, it really gives me a lot of insight into, okay, well, he's doing it a little different way when we talk about anything, practice planning, recruiting, 
uh, staff development. Uh, you can go on and on with the topics, but there's always a little different way that another guy's doing it. Oh, and I, I love to hear those stories too, those personal stories about you know how how you're building a relationship or you're furthering a relationship. This is this just goes to show any any players listening, future players listening. If you bust your tail on the while you're a player. And you show that coach, you know, hey, I've got a little bit more than just being a player. Um, there's still maybe, maybe you're not an NFL guy. Maybe you're not going to go on, you know, whatever. You might have an opportunity to get on a coaching staff if you're one of those guys, like you're talking about with with Aaron. Um, that 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 rises above. That kind of sticks out to you. And who knows? You might be a, an assistant coach at some point. You know the the I, I think you see it a lot. Maybe maybe you don't pay attention to it as much, but. You know, typically after big games, you see the, the trophy presentation, the national championship, or whatever. And, and twice I've been able to, to have the commissioner of the conference uh, pass me that that trophy at the mm-hmm. end of the game in a, in a in a presentation, and the fans are down on the field, et cetera. And in both of those moments, I've seen them both on camera. It was there was almost a discomfort with me holding the trophy. Like, why are you giving this to me? And I just immediately passed it to the closest player on both occasions and I never even realized it till I saw the video later but I can tell you that any success that I've had in the business I always feel um just unequivocally like it, it was them it wasn't me I I'm the same coach you know when when we were winless last year I poured everything I had into it I mean I had to pick myself up off the ground after every single loss week after week after week it's it's like it's it feels like dying every time obviously i don't know what dying feels like but it feels like a death you know like when a pet dies or something it's just it's so hard to pull myself out of it in time to meet with the players the next day it's everything i've got and so when we win and i know that i'm putting in the same effort every week i feel like this is all this is the players every time we lose i feel like it's my fault and every hmm. time i win i feel like it's the players and uh, that that's that's what what drives me is just to get that feeling and, and to share that camaraderie and success with them. That can be a lonely road too, and that's why having a good coaching staff to keep you up is is a big deal. Because if you're saying, "Hey, when we win, I'm not really taking it as my victory. When we lose, I'm taking it as my loss." That can that could be pretty hard on a guy. Being able to have that coaching staff though that has your back, and obviously those standout players that has your back. That's again why this is a, is so essential. How many of the the big dream conversations do you have? You know, I know here, like as a staff at the radio station, we sit down frequently and we talk about our big goals, not just the day-to-day, what we want to accomplish in a day, what we want to accomplish in a week. But then we say, hey, we want to be the best radio station we can be. We want to be this. We want to be that. We want to be this. How often are you talking to this coaching staff saying, hey, we want to be the staff that and, and the team, the program. We want to be the program that got this thing right. Part of why people enjoy this podcast, Coach, is they're, they, they're desperate. They want to see this program thrive again. It's been so long, and, and really hasn't we haven't achieved that at the Division One level. They want to see it desperately. How many of those conversations do you find yourself in where it's, we want to be that staff? Or is it more of, no, we just keep our nose down and we just keep going? We're not going to talk about that. We know what our goals are, but we're not going to vocalize that very often. I think there are really important reminders in every conversation that we have almost. Uh, every is a strong word, but you know, we've all been different places. We've been places that have the most resources or the winning tradition. Like a lot – our coaches have – they've had many other stops on their resume and in their career. And so it's really critical that we keep reminding ourselves that this place is unique and special. 
And part of the reason we're all here, certainly the reason I'm here is because it's unique and special. There are other jobs for me out there. There are other jobs that pay more money. There are other jobs where you can put a goldfish in a bowl on the sideline, put the headset on, and they're, they're going to win seven games that mm. year. It, you know, they just have all the – everything that they need is in place to win, and it's been there for a long time. That's, that's not the case here. That's what's so amazing to me about this job. All, all due credit, Bobby Hawk is one of my uh, good friends in the business. A ton of respect for him. He's the head coach at Montana, and they, they, they came back this year and kind of overtook that Montana-Montana state rivalry and went all the way to the national championship game. ton of respect for the way he does things. But let's be honest, his, him winning a championship at Montana is not like us winning a championship at Northern Colorado. This is what I'm addicted to. This is what my background is. This is what I'm chasing every day. And so we are not trying to do things like Montana. It's like in, in Moneyball when Billy Bean says, if we try to do it like the Yankees in here, we're going to lose to the Yankees on the field. And and that I, th- I think that that is coloring every conversation we have. And sometimes we have to remind each other because it's like, oh, hey, I heard it at Washington that Kalen DeBoer was doing it this way. You know, somebody says that and it's like, well, no, now, hey, we're not Washington. All due respect to Kalen DeBoer and Alabama and all those places, that's a different challenge than what we have. It's in, I was listening to uh, Rick Patino talk, uh, was it two days ago, about you know he's frustrated with his basketball team right now. And I was talking about this on the whole show the other day, Coach. Um, he can't coach necessarily the same way he did when he was at Louisville as where he is now because it's different. You're at Louisville. You're getting the – I mean, yeah, he, that's not – like he built that. He was amazing. He was with Kentucky. He did all those great things. But you get to the point where that's a well-oiled machine. The recruits are there. I mean, yeah, you have to have those conversations. You have to have those deep chats, um, all that stuff. But you're still you're getting the size. You're getting the guys. You're getting the fastest guys. You're getting the strongest guys. You're getting the guys that are going to go to the NBA. You go to a different level. If you're go, if your philosophy is going to be the exact same there, is I've already got the guys. Now I just have to implement what. No, you you now have to do a little bit extra. You got to dig a little bit deeper. You got to find those guys. So that's why I love what you're saying here at UNC. Ultimately, the goal is to find that success, and when that does come consistently, it's going to be so much sweeter than, you know, hey, they're in the playoffs again, but that's just what they do. You know, you can insert this coach, oh, you're in the playoffs, because you've already you built this well-oiled machine. Now, hopefully that comes where you get to that point where this is a well-oiled machine, and it just gets easier, but... Even even one even the same coach at a different program has to change his philosophy. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm you know one of the guys I'm real proud of that I've known for so long now, Steve Sarkeesian, the tremendous year mm-hmm. he had at Texas. But earlier we were you know you asked the question. I mean, who do you rely on? Who are you reaching out to? Mentors or whatever. I don't really have Steve and I. You know, we we hung out a lot in college. There's a mutual respect. If I see him somewhere at convention or at recruiting, like we're going to immediately fall back into old times, and 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 there's a lot of respect for what we're doing. But you know, Steve can't learn anything from me being at UNC, and I can't learn anything from him. I mean, he's been at at USC, Texas, Washington, uh, the NFL. Like, what am I going to learn from? What would he possibly? What kind of insight would he possibly have? on running a program at Northern Colorado. That would just be a, a waste of time. So professionally, we don't it's, – it's kind of interesting. People hear that we were seniors together or whatever, like, oh, you guys must have a, a good coach. You're both head coaches. Yeah, well, there's not a lot of similarity between his job and mine. <laughs> yeah. I, another radio connection, too. I remember years ago we went to Chicago for a radio convention. And I remember 
you know, we're as you've seen, we, we're we're a very, fairly small staff. And I remember we were sitting in a script writing. It was a, it was how to write commercial radio and all that stuff to write scripts. And I remember they had a panel of writers up there. Just these guys are paid to write radio commercials. That is their sole job. And they just work at big corporate stations and all that. A smaller radio station manager raised his hand and asked the question, hey, what do you do when your sales guy is also the guy that's writing all the scripts for all of the businesses? And the script writers had no answers for him. So, I, ooh, that's tough. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Um, <laughs> because it's like the sales guy's got to be doing this 100%. Oh, but then they have to take a break and write commercials. So it's funny to hear you say that because even though people think radio stations, same industry, that can be two, those can be two totally, com- uh, completely different beasts. And what you're talking about with certain coaches and certain levels, the challenge is – the the communities, whatever, can be totally different where, yeah, it's football, but it's much, much different than your kind of football. I have kind of a romantic um, vision of the the highest potential of this podcast being um, that, that there are small business owners kind of listening in and, and there's always that um, correlation between sports and business, right? Mm-hmm. And, and you, you, you have uh, business speakers that are speaking to coaches to give them insight. You have sports speakers that are speaking to businesses to get them insight or, or, or motivations. I hope that there's some, there are some people that are out there in challenging situations, you know, that are trying to pick themselves up by the bootstraps and be successful without all of the resources or to build something from, from nothing or to build something greater from something less. And if this, if this podcast could be that for just even like one person, then it would be tremendously worthwhile for me. It's already worthwhile for me from a, from a self-reflection standpoint. Uh, to hear questions through your lens, kind of the way you see the program, just gives me some insight into maybe how other people might have questions about what we're doing. And that's by itself uh, really satisfactory for me. But um, to think that there might be somebody that could take some, the things we're talking about and maybe apply them to their own challenge and, and make it better is a really cool thought for me. Well, and it's a, it's a sense of community, too, um, because I, I love northern Colorado. I've been up here in, in the Greeley-Fort Collins area since 2005. And I came from an even smaller background in eastern Colorado. So when you come up here, I just assume that it's this, you know, fairly big city feel. I, I got lost in Greeley, Coach. I know that's a surprise to you. I still get lost. Uh, but getting that sense with the more you talk to community members of, well, the Greeley Stampede, for example, they know they're not Red Rocks or Cheyenne Frontier Days. They're not trying to be Cheyenne Frontier Days or Red Rocks. They understand the acts they're going to get. They're going to be good. But it's not going to be every single night. It's Tim McGraw and Faith Hill out there every single night. Or, you know, what? Celine Dion. She's the big one now, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, no. um, that, to me, is the sense of community where it's, hey, we know we are not the size of Denver. So we're not going to have the same kind of reach, the same kind of pull. So, and I hate to use that cliche of we're all in this together, but this community is a tight-knit community. Northern Colorado is a nice community, but Greeley specifically is that tight-knit community. So I think understanding who you are is never a bad thing. And that can just help you, that gives you that base to, to grow and become bigger than when you started. I think a lot of times coaches come in or business owners come in and they just have this idea of, no, I'm extremely talented. If we don't succeed, that's on this place. That's not on me. It can be a mixture of those things. But if you come in, which I've already had so many conversations with you about this, if you come in understanding exactly who you are as a program, 
as a community, as a town, as a city, that's your first step. Don't come in with too many, you know, po- uh, you know, uh, head in the clouds ideas right off the bat. You can get there, but you have to understand who you are. And I think a lot of business owners can really connect with that. If, if you ask um, football coaches, you know, who who did the best job last year in college football? You know, let's just take the FBS level. What was the um, who did an amazing job? Who, what's the national championship of, of football coaching? Right. Obviously, Michigan's a great story. Love that. Coach Harbaugh is a personal friend. I, I worked I worked for him and uh, learned a lot from him. But what Jerry Kill did at New Mexico State, that was incredible. To win 10 yeah. games at New Mexico State, mm-hmm. right? That um, – and, 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 you know, kind of I'm, I'm, I am getting around to your comment because the thing about uh, athletics is you don't see athletic directors oftentimes hire somebody that's truly a fit. And as coaches, we go, there's no fit there. Like – you wouldn't hire, uh, you know, like Jim Harbaugh, amazing, but like he's been at some really cool places that that always win, right? He's well suited for that type of job, and obviously he's a great fit for the Chargers, played there, and all that stuff. But New Mexico State hired a guy that had always been at the places that don't have as much. Jerry Kill was prepared for that New Mexico job because he coached at Minnesota. And they don't, you know, they're in a they're in a great conference with a lot of storied programs. And if you can win five or six games at Minnesota, you're a really good football coach, right? And before that, he was at Southern Illinois, same thing. Missouri Valley Conference, Southern Illinois is a good school, but not a great school in that conference in terms of resources and winning tradition and all that stuff. So to see a, 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 an athletic director say, that's my fit, that's my guy, and then he goes to New Mexico State and absolutely crushes it. He did the best co- job of coaching in all that. of America. I think Coach Harbaugh would agree. I can't speak for him, but I, I believe that was the most amazing story in college football. I absolutely love that story because, it, again, we talk about fit. When we're talking football, and we're, whether it's NFL, college, or high school, we're talking about fit. Um, it, you can't go and get the I, – I talked about this literally yesterday on the show. I said, Nick Saban comes to UNC. Nick Saban won't last here because he's not going – this is Greeley, Colorado. It's going to be completely different than anything he's ever – and I'm not saying he wouldn't come in and do something good, yeah. but that's that's tough. That's difficult because you're going from, okay, this is one of the elite coaches, and you're, but you're going to have to do things that you've never dreamt you were, you were doing at the level you're at for Alabama. Um, finding the guy that can really jump into your program – and mesh quickly, not the guy that comes in and says, we're going to win a national championship tomorrow because we're just, I, here's my plays, here's my stuff, here's everything that we run. I, I thought it was interesting, and we don't have to delve too deep into it, you know, with, with Colorado State yesterday making the decision to, well, they're, they're, Joe Parker is out as the athletic director, but he's stepping back or whatever that looks like. I thought one of the interesting decisions was he re, he gets in contact with a guy like Urban Meyer, and Urban Meyer suggests a guy named Steve Adazio to come coach for Colorado State. And what you just said about that connection and fit, I thought here's a guy that's coming in with this Florida mentality because he was on Urban Meyer's staff in Florida, and this is this just absolute southern you know minded football coach and all this stuff. We're ranting and raving. It's not going to work for Fort Collins, Colorado. And so that might have been one of those steps in the wrong direction where, okay, we got a big name in Urban Meyer that's here telling us this is the guy to hire. 
Well, that's not Colorado State. Colorado State's not in that mode. They're not ready for that just yet. And not to say they'd ever be ready for that. And that's not a bad thing. So I love those connections because it is all about the fit. It is about, well, yeah, you're a good football coach. There's a lot of good football coaches. There's a lot of guys that know a ton about football. Can you fit the community? And do you understand the challenges, the strengths, all that stuff? Can you buy into that? Can you really get into it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I don't know much about the, the Colorado State situation, but it reminds me a, a few years ago I interviewed and, and was told by the athletic director that I finished second at, at Hawaii for their head coaching job when it was open. Not this one with Timmy Chang, but okay. the, the one okay. prior to that yeah. they hired Todd Graham, who's a, a southern guy too, a boots-wearing, jeans-wearing guy. And, um, you know, I've recruited Hawaii forever. I, I grew up with Polynesians, with Tongans. I speak Tongan. Like, I have the ultimate respect for uh, the Polynesian uh, people, the community, that island. Loved it. Like, in every way, I thought I could really be a fit there. Not the only fit. I didn't – I don't know their whole pool. But when they hired Todd Graham, I was like, oh, man, I really missed out to a guy who's who's not a fit there. He's a great mm, football coach, yep. and he's proven that. But I didn't think he was a fit, and I thought that I was. And so it was really – it was it – was, it hurt me that I that I didn't get that, or I really wanted it. So – uh, whatever boohoo, but um, you know, within the first few weeks on the job, I heard from uh, one of uh, the assistants out there, a guy with a lot of Hawaiian connections, that he had made some comments like, "This is a third world country. There's not even Dr Pepper around here." You know, like he was saying things that were uh, really uh, hurtful to the local community and just not a fit, right? And so, the, regardless of how great of a, a coach he was, I guess, you know, things didn't work out. And I, and I wasn't there every day or have all kinds of insight or anything like that. Um, but it is all about fit. And for athletic directors, so often they're looking for cover. Todd Graham was a much more qualified coach than than I was, than Ed Lamb was for every job in America Maybe Hawaii was the chance that I had. And, and you know, like I, th- I think there are a lot of situations like that where as an athletic director, they're kind of looking for just public cover. Like I hired a great coach. Look at all this that he's done and all these places that he's been. I don't know that they're always looking for the best fit. And, you know, the idea that you're going to um, – and I don't know if Adazio did this, but the idea that you're going to go to Florida and Texas and bring winning football to Colorado State, I mean – I don't think it can happen. Maybe you can. I don't see it happening. I, I think those are those points are spot on, one hundred percent. And I think that was some of what went into it. And I think there was a mentality there that wasn't isn't going to mesh. And it's not. You know, it's, again, a lot of those players aren't Fort Collins guys, but it is that community that's supporting you and that really, you know, they want to hear from you. This is why I thought on your opening your press conference. I remember talking about this, and we don't have to rehash the past. But with your press conference, I remember thinking, this guy's real. This is a this is a community that prides itself on just busting their tail every single day. You know, boots on the ground, all that kind of stuff. You got a lot of farmers and ranchers and, and oil rig folks out here, and that's not the only those aren't the only jobs, but those are these are a lot of people that that's what they believe in. And you got to put it in. You got to bust it every single day. And from your opening press conference, you could feel that. And the more we get to know each other, you can you can feel that too. And that's why the idea of bringing in somebody that's maybe they're not that far away, but they are far away mentally. They're far away from what you're trying to do here. It is important. It it maybe in some regards it's one of the most important things to do when you're building up a football team is finding the right fit, not the best coach in the history of the world, because there's only a handful, um, finding the guy that can be that right fit, and then he becomes he becomes that guy. You grow together 
And that's 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 true at every level of football. Absolutely. And you just see it over and over and over. If you really put a critical eye on it and you say, OK, the best coach ever is Nick Saban. Well, uh, was it plays? How come those plays didn't work with, with Miami? You know, is it his interaction with players? How come that didn't work in the NFL? Yep. What, what about Steve Spurrier? What about Bill Belichick when he, when he lost some players? Like, and now he's fired and can't find a job, right? So what makes a great coach? Um, I, I don't think you'll find any coach in the business. Uh, maybe publicly they're hoping that people think they're a schematic genius. But I think really in the end we know that it's not schemes. It's not strategies. It's not tactics on the field so much as it is, okay, what is my fit? Who's my audience? And am I tapping into them? Are the players motivated by what I'm saying? Is the public perception positive? Are they buying into the vision that I have? That's the key to being a great football coach, in my opinion. I was uh, never a science major or anything like that. I know. That's probably a shock. I, we, we, I was in physics in high school. And we had to make these bridges, and they're not the popsicle sticks, but they're the they're they're thin, the thin little sticks that you have to make bridges with. And so we all have to make bridges with glue and all that stuff. And at the end, we're gonna be we're gonna be graded on how they look, how much weight are they holding, and all of that. Well, my bridge was it looked like crap. It, I'm not good at this stuff, arts and crafts, all that stuff, not great. The other bridges looked phenomenal. I mean, these guys, they put together some doozies. Well, they were a little cocky about it too, though. They put their bridge up, and you you have to spread it across like two-bit books. Now we're going to start putting weight on. Well, these guys come in, and they just start putting the textbooks on the bridge like because it, it was one of those things where there's cables connected below the bridge, and then you're putting a little – there's a tray there, and you're putting weight on it. Mm-hmm. They're stacking it. Well, they're breaking like that quickly. I'm throwing a pencil on there. I'm throwing a stapler on there. I'm putting the lightest things possible. Mine's not breaking, and it doesn't break. So I win that category, strongest bridge. It wasn't the strongest bridge, but I didn't put all the weight on there at once. It just collapsed that thing, and I didn't know what I was doing at the time. That reminds me of of in, in, in football, in any sport. If you go throw, okay, we have the heavyweight champion of the world coming in here to be our head coach. You're putting too much weight on that program, and it's going to collapse quickly. If we bring a guy in that has built up programs, and he knows, and he has the right temperament for it, we're not throwing too much at it too fast. We're taking our time with it. We're going to be able to hold a lot of weight. Mm, yeah, that's a really interesting analogy. Just I, thought I of that right that. now. Yeah. Is that a real story? That is a real that story. That is a real story. And I remember thinking, I was I, because I was terrible at that kind of stuff. But I just remember, I'm like watching all these guys throw the weight on the bridge. I'm like, they're just crumbling. I'm just going to ease into this baby because if I can survive a little bit longer and this bridge can, um, you know, withstand a few more things, it, I'm going I'm to win this thing. And I did win that that portion of the category. Everything else I totally lost in. But I did win that just because I didn't throw too much at it at once. Yeah, you took a realistic look at it. You, 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 you won with humility. Yeah. And that's, I think, a huge part of of sports as well is, is we, we, we want to have audacious goals. We want to be confident in what we're doing, but we also want to understand risk reward and, and we want to be humble. We want, we want our players to know that we're, we're vulnerable, that we're humble, that we're, we're doing everything we can, that we expect them to make adjustments, but we'll make adjustments as well. And it, yeah, it sounds to me like you were the very model of that on that day. <laughs> you earned your ribbon. Yeah, well, and there's no one. I should have been a. I should have been a. You know, a scientist. After that, I should have just yeah. been given. You know, a science degree at Obviously. that point. Yeah, right, <laughs> Coach. Um, before we get out of here, let's talk about the No Limits Camp. 
that you guys have coming up. Um, it's right around the corner, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, we've got a series of camps all summer long, and most of them are tailored to the, the high school or the, the rising recruit. It's it's part of our recruiting function. Also, it uh, can be a, a bit, a little bit of a, a money maker for the assistant coaches. I don't I don't see any of that. Um, any of the profit that we make off of that, but it's it's really important uh, income potentially for our assistant coaches. They work very hard at it and put on a great series of camps. But my favorite camp is our no limits camp. It's a, it's a one day camp. We have some um, we have some other days where we kind of harken back to the camp, and, I, and we can talk more about that. But it's but it's essentially a one day camp, really tailored around special needs kids, mm. and uh, we don't put. Uh, we don't put any limitations. We don't put any definitions on on these kids. Anybody, all abilities can come out. But it, it's really well understood and marketed that, like, hey, if you've never had the chance to participate in football, this is the camp for you. If people have said that you can't do it, um, this is the camp for you. I have a special needs son, Edward. My my, uh, he'll be fourteen here in a couple of weeks. Um, severely autistic. He's got all the physical abilities. That you would want to have, like my wife and I say, like, oh man, you know, if he were typical, he'd probably be an NFL prospect. He's, he's, uh, you know, he's almost 14 years old. He's wearing a size 13 shoe, and he's really big and strong and fast and all that already. But he has no language. He's not potty trained, and he has, you know, we we don't know what he understands. We talk to him. He seems to understand some things, but you know, the, there are some real challenges there. And so obviously, he's one of the campers, and uh, we get just get really. All the way along the autism spectrum, uh, disabilities uh, spectrum, and it, all of our players last year um, participated and became kind of one-on-one camp counselors uh, for these guys. And it's just been a, a tremendous, tremendous growth opportunity for our players. And the feedback that we're getting from from parents has been amazing on the camp. It is uh, it's something that is so astonishing to me. What you know, the work here with this camp. When when your name when you were first hired, you know I'm going through your background. I'm doing a background check on your coach, mm-hmm. the Google background <laughs> check. You know, but you no, know, I I knew your name obviously Southern Utah, so I know all that stuff. But a lot of times you Google Ed Lamb, and you're going to find other stuff. You're going to find the family stuff, the horse riding stuff. And I have a child with special needs as well. Um, he's autistic as well. He's six years old. And so when I'm watching this news story on you and your family and the horse riding and what Edward has, has overcome as far as riding horses and all that, it just flat out moved me. And I thought, I want to get to know Coach. I'm, obviously, I'm going to get to know him on the show. I'm going to interview him. We're going to talk football and all that stuff. But I want to get to know Coach because I want to know more about the No Limit Camp. I want to know more about what goes behind that, the real goal of that, because those are the things that are so special because for the longest time, um, I think that special needs, wherever you are on that spectrum, we didn't talk about it. You know, growing up, I had a brother, and I, we, he was never fully, he was never diagnosed 100% as autistic or whatever, but I have my my theories. And unfortunately, he passed away five years ago. And, and I just remember we didn't talk about that. We didn't know what autistic was. There are still people back home that I say, hey, my child is is autistic. He's on the spectrum. They just look at me mm-hmm. like, what is that? What are you what talking about? Mean, well, right? bring him on down here. Let's yeah. do a four hour trip when you guys can stay the night and you can do all this. <laughs> and I said, well, actually, he's, you know, he's, he's on the spectrum. He's, he's autistic. Okay. Well, maybe, you know, next spring or something. Yeah. It's like they don't compute. Right. These kind of camps, this kind of attention that you're bringing, that's one thing. But the joy and the opportunity for parents to see their kiddos out there, 
what you're doing is is a, that's a that's an amazing thing yeah. that cannot be overlooked. Thank you. It's and I think it's like you know anyone that's done community service knows how much we get out of it. So I get so much out of it. Um, I think that. You know, the fact that I do have some of those challenges in my own home with my own family, I think there's some credibility there. When you yes. and I say that to each other, you know, we understand why maybe we're not taking our sons on, on vacations like everyone else would do. Like mm-hmm. there's a set of challenges there for the for the kid, you know, like uh, and you don't know if that's worth uh, over trying to overcome in those situations. And so that that's what that whole camp is designed around. I mean, we understand. We also have experts. You know, Lori Couch is uh, the director of the the, the Arc of Weld County Foundation. Um, she's a huge help in the planning of this. Jen Lieber is a is a counselor at UNC and uh, works with the special ed um, students. And so she's got a really good background in that. She trained our players in preparation for the camp last year. So we pretty much have it all covered. Like our guys, our players know exactly what to expect in terms of the most severe disabilities that are going to show up our camp and how to support them. And and then, you know, um, a guy like, you know, a former player here, Vinny Pallone, I just happened to meet him at the Denver Sports Hall of Fame banquet dinner last year. He heard about the No Limits camp and goes, wait a minute, my, my nephew's autistic. Um, coach, uh, this camp's going to cost some money. I got 10 grand for you. Like, boom. Like, it just started, like, growing like crazy. We that started talking amazing. about it and it just – Everything came out of the woodwork, and I, and I hope I didn't, you know, uh, in, in throwing out that number, uh, you know, disrespect Vinny in any way. But I was just so touched that, like, he didn't know me. It just like immediately, oh wait, we have this connection, and so I got to meet his nephew as well and work with him at the camp, and just been just been uh, kind of a fantastic way that all this came together for this camp and, and the way the camp was pulled off last year. And it can be so rewarding. You talk about educating your players knowing about this. Um, it can be rewarding for those players as well. And I think education is such a huge thing. And we took, uh, we took my kid to the, to the pool. We, we have a, there's a, a, a swimming pool, a hotel that we work with, and he does swimming therapy there. Well, we just start going on the weekends now. We pay him, you know, and we go there. Um, and sometimes it's packed in there. Sometimes it's not. And we'll have little children some kids are so good about it. They'll say, hey, he doesn't like to talk much. He just likes to make really unique noises. I like that. Yes. You know, and it's really cute and th- they get it. Then there's other people that don't understand what's going on. They're like, why are you not, why, why are you not telling that kid to be quiet yeah. or something? I was <laughs> like, well, he's singing his heart out right now, so he's going to yeah. keep doing it. Um, education is huge. So this camp, you know, there's so many elements to it. There's so many layers to it. That I think it's it can be so rewarding for players. It's educational. It's so fun and uh, a learning experience for for the kids, for the parents. I mean, to me, the, this is just the the right way to go about it. It's another piece of that education. I you know I look back at when I was um, in in grade school or high school or whatever. We didn't have any experiences like what the kids have now, you know, and I'm paying close attention to District 6, my, District six, my son here, and, and the intensive autism program at his school and all that stuff. The unified sports programs where mm. the typical kids are jumping in, like it's just so touching to my heart. These kids now, that are the typical kids are so much more educated about people people that have challenges, right? Yeah. And I think it's just uh, – it's, it's tremendous the way that, that society has gone – to educate people about about special needs or any kind of challenges in life, they're just, um, you know, you hear guys my age all the time now saying that you know the world's going to pot and this next generation is this or this uh, that. Like I'm telling you, people, like I'm living it mm. with the younger generation, and they're better 
than we than we were in every way. The understanding is yes. huge, is critical. So when I get that from a little kid that just says, you know, rather than he doesn't like to swim, what are we talking about there? Oh, he doesn't know how to swim yet. Oh, okay. He just he doesn't he just likes to make fun noises yeah. and fl- there un- there's an understanding from a five year old that I don't get all the time from a 45-year-old, so which is phenomenal to me. Um, I did break the, the cardinal I, – I made – what is it? The cardinal rule or whatever um, when I – you know, you and I connect on the, on, the, on the autistic side of things. And I said, Coach, so you, when are, are you going anywhere? Do you go on vacation at all? And I'm like, wait, as that came out of my mouth, because I get that question all the time when I take a week off of work, where are you going? Timnith, yeah, right. <laughs> I will be right there at home because uh, the vacation side of it is interesting and there are a lot of challenges. And I think that when parents can get an open, like this kind of camp to know I'm going to go there and there's going to be a million other parents there that are dealing with similar things. Maybe they're in different situations, whatever, but nobody's judging anybody. And I think that is a safe haven for these kiddos and for these parents. And so I just applaud you guys for putting this together because it's hard work. It's just like it's just like the football field. We, you know, I applaud the players. They really made it come off last year. Uh, the help with with you know Lori and Jen and, and and Vinny and other people like that. So many people jumped in. We had tremendous resources. There were there were people that donated uh, from all over this community and made that camp special. We were able to give away lunch. We were able to give away um, jerseys, not just T-shirts, not just camp T-shirts, but like a real-looking football jersey. How cool. We were able to get the blow-up tunnel. We were able to do a, the PA system, announce every player as they ran through the tunnel. Um, we set it up kind of like a carnival where there were different football skills around. And one of the things was running through the tunnel with your name announced. And Eddie Gonzalez and all his energy, he was the MC. So oh, MC Gonzalez cool. was announcing these guys. These, all of these athletes, he was bringing, uh, he was making up in some cases, making up nicknames for them as they ran through. We had some campers, they never got past that. They would run out the tunnel, they would get <laughs> celebrated with our players, and they'd run right back to the back of the line, and they just kept running out of the tunnel oh, the whole time. That is amazing. Yeah. yeah, you just never know. You never know what that, and again, those moments, whether it's obvious or not, those they're going to stick with those kids. Yeah. And nope. so... How do people get involved while we have this forum right or this uh, outlet right here? How do people get involved? Parents that might be listening, how do they get involved? What, what can we do? We just had our, our first um, camp meeting. Uh, Lori Couch, she, she runs those things. She shows up with an agenda and, and kind of puts us all to task and, and is great about uh, soliciting feedback and, and pros and cons. And so we just had our first planning meeting here this last week on this year's version of the No Limits Camp. Uh, I would say within the next uh, month, you'll, anybody would start to see things, uh, ads um, and, and marketing on our uh, social media outlets uh, for UNC football, but also we're, we work closely with, with District 6 and, and the Arc of Weld County. And so we're getting out uh, really every every way that we can think of getting information out, we're getting that information out. And then, all, and then word of mouth in that special needs community is probably the way that it really starts to uh, make a difference and get people signed up. Well, I, I applaud you, uh, you all for doing this, your players for really taking it seriously too and getting into it and learning. Um, I think it's a phenomenal thing. All right, Coach, as we fi- – final point here, um, I want to get into your final point of uh, – is it Misagi? Is, that, is it Misagi? Misogi. Misogi, yeah. I, I, I said it in the car <laughs> yeah. and I was going to do it right, yeah. but I wanted to we're, – we're kind of following up on um, – on that side of things too, so I wanted to get into that. And you have this uh, thirding 
Is it, what is it, thirding yeah, results? It, it's something that we've noticed. So I, I shared with you, I think a couple of weeks ago, this idea of, of these misogi, misogi workouts that are they're designed. It's, it's a Japanese word, but uh, this idea that you would design a challenge with a 50% failure rate. And if, you, if you're passing it at a greater than 50% rate, it was too easy. And, and you're completing the challenge too easy. If it's lower than 50%, then it's, then it's too hard, right? But that 50% is kind of magical to the mind, the brain, the preparation, the anxiety, and then overcoming that anxiety. So we're doing that for our players. Every Saturday, we've got these workouts that are specifically designed for a 50% pass and fail rate. And what we've noticed is, and, and we've been pretty spot on with the workouts. You know, they've been somewhere between 40 and 60% in terms of pass rate, and uh, they're incredibly difficult. But uh, what we've noticed is that, you know, so for those that don't pass the first Mishogi for the, the first workout, the very next Saturday, they're doing the same one. And if they don't pass again, the very next Saturday, they're doing the same one. And we've had, it, it's been really interesting. The numbers are almost exactly a third each week of the remaining group. So we had 70. Uh, one able-bodied guys that, that participated in the first week and about 30 passed. So we were a little under that 50% mark, right? But it was like, okay, we're, well, we're close. That was a good design. And the second week, right at uh, 13, 14 guys passed. Okay, so that, that, that was pretty good. And then all of a sudden, these last several weeks, it's been about a third of the remaining group has passed. So I wow. Just, I just, we, we just talked about that as a coaching staff. I think we're seeing a lot at this point of um, guys like who make a decision – to put the work in on that day or just kind of are more convicted. And in coaching, it's, it's pretty popular in coaching. I don't know if you've heard, ever heard of that, about it, but a lot of times as coaches, we talk about the rule of thirds. Like you're going to have a third of guys in any group that are just self-motivators, self-starters. And then you've got another third who are just like – they're almost like the cancers. They're, they're the ones that you really have to pay a lot of attention to because um, they can quickly pull the team the wrong direction because that middle third can go either way. They, they, can, they can be brought up by the leaders and they can be brought down by some of those who just aren't as focused in what they're doing. And so it's been interesting to see that thirds concept kind of show up in our, in our workouts that are actually designed more for 50 percent. I just thought that would be something. That oh, we, it's like a human study yeah, when you see yeah. this. I mean it's not just – you know it's, it's the, the workouts you can analyze too. You can look at that and go, who's which way are they going yeah. here? Are they going to fall in with those motivators or are they going to – fall behind a little bit and where they're not focused as much and they're just kind of putting the training beforehand, yeah. those extra things off. That's fascinating to me. My theory is it's it's a new subgroup each week. And as these guys, you know, when they were one of 40 guys that didn't pass, okay, well, that's a lot of guys, a lot of good players in there, a lot of players that are maybe, <clears throat> excuse me, young and and not not quite making a huge contribution on the team. But each week it's a new subgroup. And I think each week, there's about a third of the guys in that subgroup that say, no, I'm, I'm, this isn't my group. This isn't my peer reference group. I'm going to achieve. I'm going to get out of this. That's, that's what we've been seeing the last few weeks. Oh, I absolutely love it. The grind, there's so many things that go into it. You're a team, but then there's the, the grind within the grind. Yeah. And mentally, where are you going to go? Who are you going to follow? Um, or, and then ultimately, who are you going to lead? Are you going to be that person? So. That's the that's got to be the rewarding part is to analyze that kind of stuff. Um, you're always doing that well before we get to the game and the X's and O's and the film study. You're doing it right here on uh, you know February twentieth and the weekend before that. Mm-hmm. And it's so it's so I, I have loved this design. These are these are individual workouts, but with a group study kind of mentality. And 
you know, you've seen, uh, you know, I've been a part of where we, you know, we bring in the kind of the military training and they're out there for an hour and a half or three hours or whatever. And they're, they're carrying logs and stuff like that. And you got some guys that are carrying the brunt. They're at the end of the log and other guys kind of pretending in the middle, but everybody passes in the end and, you know, everybody gets through it for the most part. And, you know, that's one type of, of training and leadership development training. This is different. This is individual, but you're being compared to the group and you're getting a new reference group each week. And I just love what it's doing for our team right now. You're setting goals early. You know, you're setting these goals and these, I don't want to call them mini goals because I don't want to put them down like that, but these mini goals do lead to the ultimate goals of what you want to achieve. So if you can take this seriously, then you can take, it's it's not baby steps, it's big steps um, to achieving every goal that you put out there. And that's that's the uh, that's the plan, right? Yeah, I, I think you know, sports are tests. We we get tested. There's a there's a clear, defined uh, way to gauge success every mm-hmm. Saturday during the football season, and so to provide that in the off season, I think is huge to find out where our guys are at with that individually. Uh, I absolutely love it, Coach. Um, again, this has been a pure joy. I'll be honest. When we first sat down, I was like, "Wonder how this is going to go." We'll see how this is going to go. Um, but we've just talked over an hour and twenty minutes almost, and it's just been a, a, a great, fluid conversation. And I just uh, I look forward to these every single week now. So I appreciate you coming in here, as you said, starting your day with this. I mean, you're starting your day here at KFKA. I don't know if you're you could be losing it a little bit, Coach, because uh, I, I I wonder if, about that every single day if I should really be starting it with this group around this area but man we appreciate it so much it's been great for me really enjoying it thank you all right football 52 a unc football related podcast with uh, unc head coach ed lamb i'm brady hole we'll be back at it next week again for football 52